uh, getting start a new series called Mythbusters. If any of you guys have watched on um, uh, the Discovery Channel, Mythbusters, they take on, and uh, we're going to be talking about some myths, myths over the next couple weeks, and we're going to be also dealing with the Ten Commandments. Now, I have been this week asking random people if they know the Ten Commandments. I even asked my family if they knew the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to comment on their responses. But I even asked some people this morning and some people in the worship team. By the way, does anybody know what the Fourth Commandment is? You know what the Fourth Commandment is? What is the Fourth Commandment? Keep it holy. Amen. Give her a gold star. Yes. Now, how would you all like a very simple way to not only memorize all Ten Commandments, but any time you see a number, you're going to remember what that commandment is? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? So, today I'm going to show you the first five commandments. I'm not preaching on all five commandments, but I'm going to show you the first five. Next Sunday I'm going to do the next five, and then we'll review it every once in a while. But if anybody ever stops and asks you, hey Joel, what's the fourth commandment? You're going to remember this, okay? So, you all ready? Number one. There's only one true God. Okay, is that pretty easy? Can you all remember that? So what's the first commandment? There's only one true God. Commandment number two. You should not bow down to any other idols or gods. Do you get this? No bowing down. So now you all got this. One is there's only one true God. Number two, there's no bowing down. Number three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You should not blaspheme His name. Number four, honor the Sabbath, rest, and keep it holy. You're going to remember these, believe it or not. Number five, one of my favorites, honor your father and mother. It's not politically correct, but it's effective. So there's your first five. Can you all say them with me now? Let's go. Number one, there's only one true God. Number two, we're not going to bow down to any idols. Number three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, no blaspheming His name. Number four, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Wait till you get to the last five. Once you memorize these, somebody will say, Paul Gibbs, what's the fifth commandment? You're going to remember. We are going to be talking about a myth today. There is a saying that says that he who dies with the most toys wins. Have you ever heard that statement before? It's he who dies with the most toys wins. There's a lot of competition about what we can acquire. And I understand that we all live very fast-paced lives today. We live very fast-paced lives between our, our, our home life, our work, our school activities, it seems like every night of the week we're booked up. We're always constantly running, running, running. And in that, we sometimes lose focus on what's truly important. Have you ever been so busy where your days start running together and you just you kind of lose focus on maybe even your family or your time alone with God? See, it's interesting that in the past, your main focus was on basic essentials. So honestly, back then, it was your main goal was to provide food for your family and provide shelter. So that was the, the main... Survival was really your goal, to get through the wintertime, to store up enough so that you would have enough food to get through. But as we, our society has um, grown in population and technology, it seems that now our focus is more on just acquiring things. 
Have you thought about that? It's not more survival. It's about what we want, what comfort levels we want, what do we want our electric chairs to do, and how big is our TVs, and what's our car that we're driving, what's the, the, the uh, designer that we're wearing, what job are we going to have. These are our focus points now as opposed to just focusing on basic, basic points of life. I'd like to talk to you today about the first two of the Ten Commandments, and you probably are thinking of one and two right now, as I mentioned to you. But if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Exodus 20, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 real quickly. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And then it says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. Verse number 2, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery, and you must not have any other gods but me. Now what's real interesting before we even go on any more into this passage is that you have to realize that God delivered them first and then gave them some rules and instructions. See, Moses didn't show up and say, if you will sign here at the bottom of this stone tablet, then I have a way of delivering you out of your slavery. That today is really modern technology or, or a way of thought process because as you know, I also do software sales. And we are trained constantly in, in sales techniques. And one of the big sales techniques is if this, then that. So if Scott is saying, I would like a discount on this software, then I'll say, great Scott, I can do this if you will sign to this. And see, whenever you're taking something, you're giving something. It's a constant. But God doesn't function the way that man functions. God does not care about the way that we function. He is a giver. God gives first. He delivered them out of slavery and then said, here are some rules that's going to help you function properly as a nation, as a society. You see, our mindset is, well, we should have really done this, this, this. That's not the way God operates. God shows up and says, I've heard your cries, and I'm delivering you. And then when he brings them out, he gives the law to Moses to say, these are the ways that you should follow. These are the ways that you should follow. I want to tell you that out of all the commandments, I think the very most important one is that there is only one true God. There's only one true God. Now, why would God start off with this one? See, back in the 1990s, multiple universities handed out the Ten Commandments to their students and asked them to place it in order. Over 90% of all of the responses that came back from all the campuses placed the last commandments first and the first commandments last. Now, if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, the first four have to do with your relationship with God. The last six have to do with us living as a nation. Okay? So remember with the first one, there's only one God. There's no bowing down. Don't blaspheme His name. By the way, honor the Sabbath. Those all had to do with your um, vertical relationship with Christ and God. But the college students put it all together. They said, oh, okay, we shouldn't murder, and, and we shouldn't um, uh, lie, and we shouldn't do this, and we shouldn't do this. They rearranged everything. And then they put God at the bottom of the list. And see, I think in our human nature, when we don't have Christ in our life, that's where we place God, at the bottom of the list. If I can get the yard mode, I'll go to church on Sunday. If I'm feeling good, that's what we'll do. If the car starts, that'll be a sign from God that he wants me to go to church. 
You see, we, we wake up with a, you know, well, where, where, do, where is this really going? And what God is wanting is He's wanting people that seek Him and search after Him no matter what your circumstances are. No matter if your car starts, you find another way. No matter what people around you are doing, you go forward. No matter what other people are saying, you are pressing forth because of the knowledge of God, uh, the Word of God in your heart, who you are in Christ. Because we should not be swayed by circumstances. We should know what's right. What was interesting is, I also asked some people if they knew all four names of the Beatles. Most people knew the four names of the Beatles. But most of the people did not know all the Ten Commandments. So it's real interesting, as we as a church are trying to follow the Ten Commandments, but we truly don't really know what the Ten Commandments are. Right? Now, how would you like a job situation say, you know what, there's only ten rules to this company. As long as you don't break one of them, you're not fired. How many of y'all would think that that very first day you would study those ten rules to not get fired on your job? This, you know, you can do anything you want, just don't do any of these ten. And you're like, I'll read it later. I'll just go to work, forget about it, and I'll do this. And are we not doing that as a body of Christ? When we don't know, not even, I didn't say the order of them, but if we don't know the Ten Commandments, how are we to honor any of them? The truth is this, is putting God first has to be a priority in our life. Putting God first has to be a priority because everything else that we do falls under that. That has to be first place. You see, if we don't put God first in our life, then what happens is we'll want to steal things. There'll be times you want to kill someone. Really, have you ever thought you've been so mad at somebody you could like, boy, if I just had a rock right now, boom, right beside their head. Have you ever thought that? Maybe not. Maybe it's just me, but every once in a while, you know, that's why I don't get to play with rocks. But the point being, though, is without Christ in our life, we have a human nature that is corrupt. And in that, there will be lying. There will be cheating. There will be adultery. There will be things that are not morally right. Because we did not put God first in our lives. But once we start putting God first in our life and we're seeking that relationship with Him through Jesus Christ, following the Holy Spirit, when those temptations come up to steal, to cheat, to lie, we have to take captive of those thoughts and say, that is not me. That is not the person I am now. I am a new creation. I have been born again. That was my old self. I have met some people that are such great liars in my life. In fact, I don't even think they know when they're lying anymore. Have you ever met someone who could lie so smoothly that you... And and the thing of it is, is this. You tell a lie enough, after a while, you'll start believing it. I'm... Right? Okay. So the point being, though, is our, our human nature, it is easy to lie. And there's going to be times we're going to get into this on one of the Mythbusters. Well, if it's not hurting their feelings, okay, it's okay. It's, it's what's called a white lie, Pastor. You, you need to know the difference between a white lie and a black lie. A white lie is that you just don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or it avoids an awkward situation. But is it still not a lie? Yep. So, true or false? Here's a true or false question for you. Now, I know I'm asking this in church, so I think I know the answer here, but I'm going to ask it in different contexts. True or false? Most people have God first place in their life. Okay? In your workplace, most people put God first in their life. In your schools, most people put God first in their lives. 
in your extended family, most of your extended family put God first in their life. So do you see the very first commandment, the one that I think God thought was the very most important to put, we're basically not following because we really don't know how to put Him first. So I want to talk to you about putting God first for about the next five or ten minutes before I go into the second point. Pastor, how do I put God first? It sounds great. It sounds like something I want to do. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the word first. F-I-R-S-T. We're going to look at those five letters. God wants to be first in your focus. The letter F is going to stand for focus. There's a story out there about these two ladies that went to church. And after church, they were driving home together. And the one woman said, did you smell the cologne on so-and-so? And the other woman goes, no, I didn't. And she goes, did you notice the shoes that so-and-so was wearing today? And the other one goes, no, I didn't. And she looked at her and she said, why is it that you even go to church? You see, if your focus is just to be there to observe people and kind of get updated on what's going on in the town and community and, and kind of get updated on everything and to criticize people, your focus of going to church is in the wrong column. Okay? First, focus has to be on God, on Him alone. Psalm 63 verse 6 says this, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night hours. So what is occupying your thoughts? What is occupying your time? When you're laying in bed at night and about to go to sleep, what is it that you're thinking about? Because whatever you're thinking about is occupying your focus. Okay? Man, there have been some times, I'm going to be honest with you, I've had so much things running through my mind that it's hard to go to sleep. Have you ever had that where your, your mind is just racing and I need to do this and all of, and, and I've even gotten up and, wrote, and yell, wrote down some yellow sticky notes so that in the morning I would remember this. But guess what had my focus? Guess what had my attention? And it could be if you're in school, man, you're having this exam in the morning, that has got your focus right now. But if you come to church thinking about that exam on Monday, God is a jealous God and He does not want your focus on your work situation, your school situation, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your finances. That doesn't need to be. He wants to be your focus. And that is how we put God first in our focus. Whatever is occupying your time, whatever is occupying your thoughts, that is your focus. And you can say, oh, Mark, but, but this is a noble cause. I'm, I'm, I'm raising money to, to, to feed hungry people in, in affluent neighborhoods. It's a little joke. But uh, somebody who shared with me, they, they ran for, never mind. Um, the point being, though, is this. It could be for all the right causes, but you're putting it in front of God. That's why ministries fail. That's why ministry families fail. They put God in the ministry so high up there that their families become second and third rung down, and that's why their marriages fall apart, their families fall apart, all because it was a good cause. That is a deception of the enemy. Okay? That was a better point than just two amens. Come on. There we go. There's three. Can I hear four? Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Five. I watched Storage Wars the other night. Love that show. Okay. There's a sermon in there somewhere for storage wars. A deception. God wants to be the first of our focus. The I in the letter first needs to be He's first in our income. Okay? I found out that when a biography wants to do a story on you, He's going to write your story for you. 
There's a few things that they do that I thought was really interesting. Obviously, one of them is we would think, we're going to sit down and we're going to interview. Courtney, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your background, how you're raised, where you were, this, 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 this. And then all of a sudden, he's going to say, Courtney, can I go and look at your checkbook? Because... What Courtney is spending money on will be an in part of her of her personality, right? So, I mean, if if she is going to the dollar store every day and buying things at the dollar store, they, there'd be something to bring up. So, what is? Why do you go to the dollar store every day? Oh, I, I just I'm a shopaholic. Well, that'd be something to put in your book. See, we're not going to tell people we're shopaholics. They can find out things about us where we're spending our money. No one's going to say I am an obsessive, obsessive gambler. But if more checks are going to Lone Star than anywhere else, there's a problem. And that will probably get added in your book. So if you are ever going to have a book written about you and a biographer is going to come to study you, they're going to go through your checkbook. But you know what? Sometimes a pastor could do the same thing. we got people, oh, you know, I support this, I support this. Are you, are you giving to the kingdom of God? Are you putting God first? See, God wants to be first in everything that we do. God wants the first 10%. Does He need it? No. But it's more of an obedience factor for us. Because when I write 10% right off to God, that leaves 90% for me to do everything else. In fact, if you've been through the uh, Financial Peace Dave Ramsey series, he says, pay God 10%, put 10% in savings right away, 80% is what you live on. That's, I mean, that's an expert right there. You see, in, in our country, we have very little savings. We've not put God first. We're in a financial economic downturn. In fact, the people that you're trusting your money with are called brokers. Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. You hire a financial broker. I thought that was funny. Wouldn't this she be a different term, like in a financial increaser or something like that? That's the person I want to go to. Hire a good financial increaser, not a financial broker. But see, God says, put me first. Prove me in this and see. And this is what he talks about in Malachi 3.10. It says, bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I won't open the heavens and flood you with blessings. It also talks about rebuking the devourer. That your car's not breaking down, your, your home's not leaking, um, books are lasting longer. Whatever the case may be. It's us putting God first in our finances. You say, well, I've got, to, I've got to pay my mortgage first. Then guess what's number one in your life? I've got to make that great car payment. Guess what's number one in your life? Whatever you're paying first is a priority. And you say, well, if I don't, they're going to take it away. That's because your priorities have been out of whack. So it's important that we understand putting God first in our finances... The R in first is relationship. God wants to be first in our relationship. 1 John 4.20 says, Whoever says, I love God, but hates another believer is a liar. People who don't love other believers whom they have seen can't love God whom they have not seen. What it's saying is, people, we need to be a reflection of Christ in us. We have received love. We have received mercy. We have received grace. But we are not giving that out to people. So what kind of testimony are we being out there to the world? Because we're not focusing on God, and God is love. And if God is love, and I am a child, and I am pursuing Him, I am pursuing Him with all that I am, 
You know, I walked last night and my prayer was really interesting. I said, God, would you make me valuable to you? That was my prayer last night. God, and I've never prayed this before, I said, God, would you make me valuable to you? You see, what's valuable to me is not valuable to God. Man, gold, it's valuable to us, right? But they paved the streets of it in heaven. It's pavement up there, okay? Diamonds, rubies, whatever you can imagine. God owns cattle on a thousand hills. But as we learned Tuesday night, the more that we become focused on God, the more God can use us, the more valuable we become. The analogy that Tony Evans gave in that was that sand on the beach is plentiful. There's sand everywhere. But all of a sudden, go and try to build a sandbox, you're going to go buy some bags of sand. Guess what now? You're spending $10, $15 on a bag of sand that over at the beach was free. All of a sudden, go and buy some sandpaper. This is sand that has been added to glue and put on paper. You could be spending $5 for a pack with a little bit of sand on it. All of a sudden, go to Silicon Valley and look at the sand that they're using when they're making computer chips. That sand goes for $500. The same sand that was free over here is now $500 because it's being more specifically used for a purpose. And the more that we find our purpose, the more that God is allowed to be number one in our life, that no matter what happens, we are still focused on Him, we become valuable to Him. The creator of the universe. Thank you, Shauna. The creator of the universe. We become valuable to Him. And that's what happens when we focus on God. There are two types of relationships that we should have. One is people that we choose to be with because they draw us closer to God. And then there are people that we choose to hang around because we're bringing them closer to God. But unfortunately, there are some that have added a third category. People that are pulling you away from God and you still choose that relationship. You see, there should be two. People that will encourage you and build you up and pray for you. And then those that you've said, God, open my eyes so that I can bring them to you. It's important that we understand relationships. The S in the word first is our security. Psalm 71 verse 3 says, Be a rock on which I may live. A place where I may always go. You gave the order to save me, and indeed you are my rock and my fortress. God is the first thing that I should go to, especially when my life is out of disarray. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is my covering. He is my shelter. I don't run to people. I don't run to the bank. I don't run to my financial broker. I run to God. And that's the way we should always look at our relationship with Him. The Word of God says for us to cast all of our cares upon Him. But are we truly doing that? Do we kind of feel like there are some cares that God doesn't care about? See, I mean, I think sometimes people truly don't cast all of their cares. I'll take care of this one, God. I'm their dad. I'll handle it. Ooh, that one's a toughie, okay? Because all of a sudden that situation can go 36 ways ugly real quick. You see, when 
you start replacing God. So when you are casting all your cares, no matter what situation, you get an email from your boss, I'd like to see you at 1 o'clock. You know what you should be doing during your lunch hour? Thank you, Father God, you're giving me presence with this person. I thank you the favor of God goes before me. I thank you that no harm will come near me. A thousand may fall on my side and ten thousand may fall on my right hand, but no harm is going to come near me. I thank you that I'm the head and not the dead. This is the way you spend your lunch hour. Not worrying about sending, David, did you hear what this meeting's about? Uh, I hear that they laid off. No. You see, now I'm putting my trust in David. What's the rumor? What's, what's the news out there? I've got to start Facebooking. I've got to start blogging about this. You should get your face in the book and start seeking God about everything. That's when He is our security. But you say, well, Pastor, that's a pretty extreme thing. I might lose my job. What about little situations? What about when, when people are making bad decisions around you? Are we going there with that much energy and zeal? When we know people are making bad life choices, do we truly pray for them with that same energy as if we're going to get fired after lunch? So it's important that we cast all of our cares. Our security needs to be with Him first. The last is time. I also mentioned that a biographer will go through your checkbook when they want to know truly who you are. The other thing that they will look is your date book and your outlook because they want to see where you're spending your time. You may be telling them that you're feeding the hungry and doing all of this. They really want to see where you are. See, talk is cheap. They want to see, are you walking the talk? So Ephesians 5.16 tells me this. Make the most of your opportunities because these days are evil. Make the most of these opportunities. Spend time. Spend time with God. You know, it's amazing in our marriage if I just said to Kristen, I have a really great relationship with you. I'm very happy. By the way, I've worked up a new kind of plan. I'm going to spend one day a week with you. The other six days, you're not going to know where I am, okay? But one day, you have me all day long. Now, do you think that I, even as a great salesperson, could convince my wife that one day a week would be just plentiful for our marriage? How many of y'all think that we would continue to have a good marriage after a year of that, of that agreement? How many think would I be living with one of y'all after the end of one of these agreements? That's a great idea. And yet sometimes we put God, say, you know what, God, I gave you Sunday morning. The Cowboys were playing at three today, so there was no way that I was going to miss church. Just think about that. How to know if God is first in your life? It's not truly what you spend the most time doing. If so, sleep would be your God. I did some studies on this. It's not what you give the most money to because, according to statistics, your house would be your God. See, most people spend the most time sleeping and the biggest expense check that they write is their housing. So here's how to know if God's first in your life. Is God the thing you love the most? Is God the thing that you serve gladly And number three, is God the thing that is non-negotiable in your life? You see, there are certain things in my life that are non-negotiable. You can say, hey, I really like your shirt. I say, Randy, how much you want to give me for this shirt? Man, we're starting to negotiate, okay? But if he goes, hey, I need a worker and I'll buy your son for you. I say, Randy, I am not selling my son. I'll give you a million dollars for him. No, no, it's non-negotiable. 
You see, there has to be things in your life that are not negotiable. And that has to also be in your spiritual life. That has to be in your time. That has to be in your devotion with God. You're walking with God. You're praying with God. This once a week stuff is not going to get you through to your promised land. It's important that we understand this. So number one is there's only one God. Do you remember that? Remember what the second commandment was? Okay, we're going in there right now. Exodus 20 verse 4 says, You must not make for yourself an idol or any kind of image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. So basically what he's saying is here, let's don't make any visual aids for your worship. God says, I'm invisible. Deal with that. (laughs) That's really what it is. That's Mark's translation. Now, I'm going to tell you, it would be a lot easier to worship something that we could see. Okay? That's true, because it revolves faith. But if we said, hey, where's God? Oh, we put Him over there in the corner. Man, everybody want to go over there in the corner. Have you ever noticed that any time a piece of toast has the image of Mary or Christ, people will drive across the country to go see this piece of toast? Why? They want to see to worship something. And that's what's important in this point. And God knows the way we're created. He knows that we would love to see this. See, this is what the the world was doing at that time. And God says to him, look, you're my children. I've set you apart. Don't be like them. And you know what he's telling us today? Look, you're my children. I've set you apart. Don't be like them. Nothing has changed between since the commandments were given and now except for Christ is now part of our life. A lot of people would say, you know what, Pastor Mark, this idol thing is not relevant today. That was way back then. I got some stats for you real quick. There is a museum currently in Egypt that there is a monument to the scarab beetle. Okay? You can go and read all about this beetle. Hindus will pray to cows. They also won't swat a fly because it may be an ancestor of theirs paying for wrongs. There are 330 million gods for the Hindus. In a, um, in a China, this was a real interesting story. In China, a Buddhist statue fell on a man, and the family sued the Buddhist temple. And the Buddhist idol was found guilty, and that statue and 14 other statues were beheaded. The Roman Catholic Church has relics of Mary's hair, Mary's wedding ring, her holy girdle, the Last Supper basin, the burial cloth of Christ, the lance in which struck his side, and actual footprints of Jesus and John the Baptist. That's, that's today. We could go see those. We could go to the Vatican and we could go see some things. And wow, that's holy. God is holy. Mary's girdle isn't holy. God is holy. I don't want to see something like that. But you say, you know, we don't have, we don't have that going on today. Just for curiosity's sake, 
There's a TV show. What's the name of it? I forget. It had Simon Cowell on it, J-Lo, and that guy that sing American Idol. Oh, and we're not talking about idols, are we? Yes, we were. So even we have a show called American so if you apply, let, let me just, uh, maybe I'm simple and I don't get this. Adrian, help me with this, okay? Or Autumn, you know, you, you're smart. If I apply to be on the show American Idol and I win, what do I become? It's not hard. It's part of the word. Not American. Idol, there we go. This whole family's just smart right over here. She knew the fourth commandment. We strive to become an idol. To have thousands of people cheering and chanting our name, knowing our songs, knowing what kind of moose we use in our hair. But that's what we strive for today. I don't pray to those characters. But that's what we want. We want American idols. And let me give you a definition of what an idol is. It's anything you love more, fear more, value more, or serve more than you do God. Okay? Anything you value or serve more than you do God. See, this is dangerous territory. Because I could say, is there a video game that's occupying your life right now? Are you spending more time in that video game than you are in the Word of God? Say, I'm not going to go there because that might offend somebody. Or I might say, you know, is there a project that you're working on that you're spending way more time than that than you are with your word in the time in the word or your family or, or anything? You see, what is a priority to us will take and occupy our time. That's a simple thing. And it has a very clear chance of becoming an idol to you. So what does this command mean for you? Commandment number one was about putting Him first. And commandment number two was about putting the right God first. Because there are several little gods in this world that will want to take your time and attention. Seriously. You know, actually, we're easily bought. We really are. I mean, if I said, I have a job, it's going to require probably 100 hours a week. You're going to have to move to a remote part of the world. You'll have no contact. But it does pay $450,000 a year. Some of you are thinking, I could do that. <laughs> Me, myself, and I, there's three of us right there. What about your family? Oh, I'll be sending them money and they'll be really happy for that. What about your time with God? Well, I'll take the Word of God with me. You see, we're easily bought. God wants to be first. He wants to be first in our life and He doesn't want any of the idols. Three checks that we need to perform on ourselves to make sure that we're worshiping the right God. Number one, worship God as He is and not as you create Him. Amen. Worship God as He is and not as you create Him. Isaiah 40 verse 25 says this, To whom then can you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One. Exodus 20 verse 4 we just read says, You must not make any idol yourself an idol of any kind or image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or the sea. Do you know what was really interesting about this? Moses stands with the tablets, gives them the command. What did these people do within 40 days of that command? They broke both of them. The first two. They said, we need to create a God. And, and they all gave their earrings and their gold and their rings and they formed it into a calf and they worshipped the calf. 40 days. Have you ever been like a parent? You said, please don't touch this. And 
two, three minutes later, somebody's touching it. And you're like, what was not clear in that definition? Do not touch this. But man, the moment that we're told not to touch something, we're going to touch it. I'm going to tell you something. i probably never told anybody my whole life. My sister showed me a, a bobby pin. And my, if she's listening to this, please forgive me for telling the story. But my sister said, Mark, and I'm probably about five, she says, do not stick that in that outlet. I stuck that thing in. It shocked. It blew. The outlet went black, really black. My fingers started swelling up. And then she got in trouble. But she knew that the moment she said, don't do this, at the age of five, I'm going to do it. And sometimes, even God's saying, don't worship other gods. I got, I got to try it. I got to just try it, God. Austin shared something with me from his history class. What was it in the concerts? What was the symbol? Was that? Was that it? What, what was it? This. No, it's not hook'em horns. Which one's the horns? Huh? Which one's this one? The Satan. The, the, the mark for devil. Which one? I can't see. Very, very similar. How many of y'all have been at concert? Man, everybody's like, this. That is the sign language for devil. And we don't even know it. We're like, oh, the music, just great. And you know what? Satan's like, this is awesome. This is awesome. And we're just doing it. See, ignorance is not going to be an excuse one day. So it's important that we understand who we're worshiping. Fortunately, God forgave the children of Israel and He reissued the commandments. And that was grace. People tend to create gods like themselves. People tend to create gods like themselves. My second point is that worship God as a jealous God, not as a permissive God. Worship God as a jealous God, not as a permissive God. In Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5, it says, You must not make any uh, image uh, yourself an idol in any kind on the heavens or earth or in the sea, and you must not bow down to them. Or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections to any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Romans 1.25 tells us this. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. You see, God is holy, and God is just. What we're talking about here is decisions that you make can affect your children. If I decide to go out today and rob a liquor store and get arrested and I'm locked up for the next 50 years, I think it's going to affect my relationship with my wife. It's going to affect the relationship with my children. It's going to affect grandchildren that never knew a grandfather unless they come on visiting days. You see? It would affect y'all. Sin affects. So it's important that we understand. But there's also a blessing for those who seek and follow God we're going to talk about in a second. Number three is worship God as a loving God and not as a hateful God. 
Here's Exodus 20, verse 6. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Lord, if you tarry, I want to give the next thousand generations of my bloodline your favor and your grace and your peace because of my faithfulness and my obedience to your word. God is merciful, and that means he will forgive you and bless you even when you're not proud of your past. Do you understand that? God is merciful, and he will forgive you even though you are not proud of your past. That is why we seek God as a source of our mercy and our grace. You see, there are people here today, and normally I end every service with making a decision whether you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'm going to go on a safe assumption that everyone here has made that decision. We also know that people listen to this on now the, uh, through the Internet. But do you think that there might be somebody in this room today that has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior but they still have an idol between them and their Lord and Savior. And it could have been many of the several that I talked about. It could be your work. It could be an old relationship. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody at your school. It could be your work. It could be your school. It could be an item. It could be a TV show. It could be a video game. It could be anything that is occupying your focus and your time. You think about it more than anything else. It could be money. It could be your status. It could be your location in your neighborhood. Who has a better yard than you do? And you have to have the best yard. That's your God right then. So today as we say this prayer that I'm going to lead you in, if you feel that you have replaced God in anything, you see, it truly is a myth that he who dies with the most toys wins. You can't take it with you. If accumulating things is your God, you're going to be sorely disappointed. In fact, 1,400 homes in the Bastrop area burned quickly. I was thinking about this this week. 14 homes, 1,400 homes. And I would assume that let's just even put three or four people to a home. Do you know how many thousands of people that was that lost everything in the moment of, of an hour or two? And there was nothing they could do. They, some that were interviewed went in and, and got a photo album or a pet, but that was all that they were able to save. Most of them only had the clothes on their back. Everything else that they had been spending all of their eternity to acquire, figurines or collectibles or, or whatever it is, sports memorabilia, everything burned. And if your hope and your trust was there, your world ended that day. Because that signed Babe Ruth autograph or that Troy Aikman football just was destroyed. But when you put your hope and your trust in God, God is there. He's there and He's full of mercy and He's full of grace. And that's where we need to turn. He needs to be first in our life. He needs to be first in our focus. He needs to be first in our income. He needs to be first in our relationships. He needs to be first in our security. He needs to be first in our time. And that's how we put God first. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. And as I said, as we're saying this prayer, if there is anything that you have placed, and it could even be noble, between you and your relationship with God, in fact, even as you're praying, say, search me, O God. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. See, those are the prayers that draw us closer to God. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you repeat with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I am a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I am saved. Amen. I hope we got rid of some idols today. No more bowing down. I hope that you spend today as a day of rest. And if anybody asks you what the fifth commandment is, just swat them. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> You'll never forget those. And next week we'll go over six through ten. If you all would stand, I'd like to speak a blessing as we dismiss. God's Word is powerful. So may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. Have a blessed day. Thanks for coming. We love you all so very much.